Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and AARP Utah, a nonpartisan social change organization with a membership helping people 50 and over improve their lives by providing materials, programs, and advocacy on key issues. More information is available at aarp.org. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're coming to you live today from the state capitol. It's opening day for the 2016 Utah legislature, and we are uh, at the state capitol. We're going to be talking with Governor Gary Herbert. We'll be bringing in House Majority Leader Representative Jim Dunnigan, House Minority Leader Representative Brian King. Later in the program, conversation with Senate Majority Leader Ralph Okerlund and Senate Minority Leader Gene Davis. And uh, we're going to feature conversations at the end of the uh, program today with Billy Hesterman, Vice President of the Utah Taxpayers Association, Bill Tibbetts, Director of the Crossroads Urban Center's Coalition of Religious Communities, and Stephen Cruz, President of the Utah Foundation. We're going to talk about the issues likely to be addressed in the legislature this year, and we want to know what you think. You can guide the conversation here. Uh, by telling us what you want to see coming out of the legislative session, what should be the top priorities, you can email us right now to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, uh, with questions or comments for our guests. Of course, during the legislative session, uh, we will be bringing you in-depth discussion of many of these issues, and uh, today uh, sort of a thumbnail sketch with uh, the governor and with the leaders on the legislative side. Uh, we will be talking uh, today, both most likely and through the legislative session, about uh, such issues as public lands. Of course, Representatives Bishop and Chaffetz are out with a public lands initiative. Uh, some are opposing that, including uh, Ute and Navajo tribes in Utah. And they are pushing for President Obama to create a national monument, Bears Ears National Monument. We'll uh, talk about public lands. Medicaid expansion will be uh, on the table as well during this legislative session. There are uh, still efforts to find a solution. Uh, we'll talk about medical marijuana. Governor is uh, under fire, not so much for his uh, position on medical uh, marijuana, but uh, how he phrased it. As his, his phrase, a K-Pasa comment, went viral. We'll uh, perhaps talk about the homeless population. The uh, Salt Lake City and County have a plan uh, to improve uh, services for homeless population in that area. It is somewhat expensive, $23 million. Legislators are uh, trying to see if they can come up with that money. Air quality is always a hot topic. Uh, also, the way the legislature conducts business, whether uh, Republicans ought not to uh, go behind closed doors to discuss uh, business. Democrats are complaining about that. Uh, guns, a hot topic as well, state uh, nationwide. And uh, Senator Hinkins is back out with uh, his uh, constitutional carry uh, provision. The governor vetoed a similar measure in 2013. We'll see what the governor says uh, to today. All of that on the table, as well as taxes on Internet uh, sales. And again, the email is upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And we do welcome in uh, Governor Gary Herberts has, uh, has joined us now. Thank you well, for joining us. Good morning. Us. Great to be with you in the start of the most important 45 days of the year. Uh, this is a busy time for you, I'm sure. I, I wanted to just uh, ask you what, what your top priority is going into the session. Well, the number one issue for the legislature to consider and do and implement is the budget. 
we sometimes think about all the policy and all the pieces of legislation are passed, but the more important thing that they come together every year is to, in fact, spend the taxpayers' dollars in appropriate ways. So that's the number one issue, get it right, have a rational, reasonable, and responsible budget. And my number one priority is education. It always has been, and uh, we've been able to work with the legislature, and so over the last four years, uh, put about $1.4 billion of new money into education. My recommendation this year is to put another $422 million of new money to bring us up to about $1.8 plus billion. So that's the issue that's the number one top of the agenda for me. What are the revenue projections looking like at this point? Very good. We have a healthy economy. It's probably the best economy in America today. It's uh, about the third most diverse. Uh, We don't have all of our economic eggs in one basket. Uh, We've come out of the recession better than any state in America. We're the best place for business, so I'm very optimistic about our future. Our income tax is up significantly, and that's earmarked for education, so that helps us propel more money into education. But we have the challenge of our general fund. Our general fund has too many earmarks, my belief, and uh, that means we take money off the table that are not able to be debated, discussed, and prioritized correctly. And that's where a lot of money goes to our uh, higher education to help supplement uh, what we don't have enough money of in the education fund. Uh, I'm very concerned, too, about the fact that our growth Uh, in the sales tax area of our general fund is not growing as rapidly as our income tax. It's not because we're not having a healthy economy. It's not because things aren't going well. It's because we have about $180 million of uh, sales tax, which is owed, but not collected because of uh, people not filling out their forms and, and remitting the tax. So we've been working with our congressional delegation and others in Washington, D.C., to see if we cannot put together a Market Street Fairness Act. Congressman Jason Chavitz happens to be the sponsor of that bill. We've been working on this as states for 15 years, and the Congress keeps kicking it down the road and not resolving the issue. We have some of our own local companies that fight against it because they don't want to have to lose the competitive advantage of having to collect the tax. But with the technology today, we can defray those costs and expenses and, again, if we could start collecting the money that's owed uh, to us, we'd pick up an extra $180 million that would go into the general fund. And that could be invested in education. Uh, we, it could possibly be a tax cut for people out there. And so I'm hopeful that we'll come up with some kind of a solution uh, federally. But if not, the states are going to have to take uh, it upon themselves to find the solution. So this is frustration with Congress not acting, that the states Absolutely. are taking themselves? Absolutely. It is okay. a very frustrating thing. It goes back to the Mike Levitt days. That's how long mm-hmm. ago it's been. And everybody understands the fairness issue of it. It's not right for some to pay their taxes and others to not. Uh, it, it hurts some of our brick-and-mortar stores where you, people go in and shop and window shop and then buy online. And as we all have trying to change the way we shop with more remote sales, online catalog sales, Uh, you know, people are are cheating, and that's not right, it's not fair, and it hurts us as uh, our ability to fund, uh, you know, what we the people think government should be involved with. So this is the year we're drawing the line in the sand. I've met with Speaker Ryan already, and uh, I said it's not right that just a few people 
and it's just the, it's the minority in Congress are blocking this from happening. We need to get this resolved, and if they don't do it, the states will, in fact, come up with their own solutions. It'll be not as good, but it will be something, and, and uh, again, it's, it's money that's uh, owed, and we could give everybody a tax cut in the state of Utah if we had uh, more fairness in the sales tax arena. I want to talk a little bit about Medicaid expansion. That's something you've been working on for a while. Some 70,000 Utahns are in the so-called gap. Uh, could be covered if, if the state decided to expand it under the Affordable Care uh, Act. This went through the, I guess, the interim period, and now we're to the 2016 session. What are, what are your hopes? What do, what do you think is going to happen here? Well, two things. It's an issue that won't go away, and it shouldn't go away. Uh, we certainly have a responsibility. I'm a Reagan Republican and says that we have safety net issues to help those who are most vulnerable in our society. I put out there a proposal which I think is better, and let me emphasize better than Medicaid expansion as is traditionally thought of and uh, coming out of Washington, D.C. Uh, we've made adjustments in the proposal and uh, as a work effort, part of it to help people that come, and the reason they're there is because they're not making enough money, and so part of our area efforts in Healthy Utah was to not only provide you with health care, but also get you a job. And if you're unemployed, to get you a job. If you're underemployed, get you a better job. Uh, there's a lot of aspects that make it better, but we have not been able to get the votes. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the taxes that we pay are mandatory under the Affordable Care Act, but the expansion is voluntary. So we've got to find a way to get votes. Uh, to, in fact, uh, help uh, with this issue. Uh, I expect that the legislature will be coming up with some uh, additional ideas and some maybe other options. Maybe imperfect, maybe not what I want, but I hope that we'll move ahead and get something done. And I'll be working with leadership uh, of both uh, Republican and Democrats and see what bubbles up because I know the people would like to see us resolve this issue. Heading into this session, uh, we have uh, public lands back at the, the top of the media agenda with uh, an initiative from Representatives Bishop and Chaffetz. Uh, that's being pushed back against by the, uh, some Indian tribes and others who would prefer that President Obama uh, declare a national monument, Barazir's monument. Where do you come down? Well, I very much support the public land initiative. I think it's a common sense approach. Uh, they've had over 1,200 meetings with all the stakeholders, including Native Americans, who've been at the table and given their input. And, of course, it is a compromise. Uh, not everybody's going to get everything they want. It's, that's the definition of compromise. And there's, as Congressman Bishop said, there's things in there to like and there's things in there to not like, uh, depending on what your point of view is. I would hope people would sit down and read it. You know, I, it's appalling to me that I see some of the advertisements put out there as if Congressman Bishop is trying to sell Arches National Park. That's just a lie. And it doesn't help us solve the problem. In fact, under the proposal of the Public Land Initiative, he expands the area of arches to protect it. And uh, the Bears Ears thing with the Native Americans, again, is an area where they wanted 1.8 million acres. The local community down there, the county commissioners, which includes a uh, Navajo member of the commission, wanted to have 800,000 acres. The compromise is 1.2 acres. And it's done in such a way that it probably allows more flexibility for ceremonial uh, uh, activities there on these uh, lands that the Native Americans would probably get. And, and we also get more out of this than just having a national monument. A national monument, you'd get 1.8 million acres, I guess, if the president did it, but you lose everything else. 
you lose access to about 150 miles of stream bed that you cannot do and the president can't do. It, it resolves 18 million acres of conflict, which we've had for too long. It, it sets aside where you can develop. It protects our farmers and ranchers. It protects our water rights. It sets aside some of the most beautiful and pristine areas. It creates the first state forest. It creates a new national monument and creates another two and a half million acres of wilderness. I mean, there's a lot to like. It's about a four to one ratio on behalf of conservation. And so I don't understand those who sat at the table in supposed good faith and are now out there bad-mouthing this approach. I'm sure it's not perfect, and it's certainly not forged in concrete. There's opportunity. It's a discussion document to kind of hopefully wordsmith and, and maybe if there's some rough edges to smooth some of those edges out. But this is the best attempt, I think, a good faith effort to resolve this conflict of, of 18 million acres that we've ever done. And I hope people will take a look at it and see if we can't come together and see the positive things of this rather than, than the negative aspects of this that I hear a little too much and too loud right now. This, uh, were this to go forward, and perhaps were this to be replicated, um, would this take some impetus away from uh, the push to uh, transfer federal ownership to state? You know, I think there are parallel issues, but uh, not necessarily joined at the hip. But certainly the, the, the thing we ought to focus on is the outcome. It's really a matter of how you manage the public lands and who can manage them the best. That's been the issue all along. As we've said over and over again, and yet it's distorted by some, uh, Utah is a public land state. It will always be a public land state. The question is how the management's going to be taken care of and who's going to be in control, whether it's the state or the federal government. Uh, the question is going to be the outcome. And uh, there's certainly areas where we can do and find together with the federal government the optimal balance point for the management of the federal lands. For example, there is no reason for us to have lost our forest and lumber industry in the state of Utah. That's bad management by the federal government. They would not let us spray for the bark beetle. We've lost uh, uh, an entire forest and a lumber industry that now all we have is dead wood. Uh, we have uh, land fires out there that, uh, because of too much cheatgrass that ought to be replenished and replaced with uh, more drought-resistant, fire-resistant grasses to help with our grazing, for our farmers under the Taylor Grazing Act. Uh, there should be, uh, you know, areas that where we put in some... Uh, uh, areas of fire uh, bank so that we don't when we have a fire it doesn't spread again That's just a matter of how you plant the grass and, and what you do is uh, to protect from spreading of, of wildland fires There's just so many areas we could manage better and it, it, unfortunately it's because Together and I'm hopeful the public land issue will allow that that to happen and we can understand that working together We can probably get a better outcome Governor, I wanted to uh, just bring up briefly uh, some comments you made on medical marijuana. This, medical uh, marijuana, this, uh, some people found them fun. Others are criticizing the way you expressed yourself. Yeah. I wonder what you say about that. Well, I apologize to anybody who was taking an offense. That certainly was not my intent to offend anybody. I was trying to do my uh, uh, George Carlin impersonation, uh, the hippy-dippy weatherman. But I'd been asked the question probably 14 different ways, uh, and if you watch the tape, you know, from my interview, you'll see that, one, I am sensitive to those who uh, think that medical marijuana can give them relief from their pain, and I certainly agree it's something we ought to look into and discuss and talk about. What I was trying to say was I'm not trying to do the California approach where we call it medical marijuana when it's, in fact, really recreational marijuana. And... Um, 
and and that was the point again a poor attempt at humor uh, i guess but it certainly was no slight george carlin was not hispanic you know mm-hmm. and uh, that was the phrase that he had used so that being said again it's uh, uh, it was no offense intended i hope that people can not take offense it's it was certainly not my intention that being said on the serious side of medical marijuana uh, we do need to take a look at that, and, and it ought to be based on science. It ought to be based on what we know will actually help people with their medical conditions. And uh, we can do that, I think, in a, re- uh, a common-sense, responsible way. I think the federal government has taken a powder for too long by ignoring it. There's laws that get in the way. I don't think it's right for the administration to ignore the federal laws and let states do their own thing and pick and choose what laws are going to enforce. That's not good policy. I think we need to go slow. I've talked with uh, Governor Hickenlooper of Colorado, who says, Gary, I would advise you and any other state to be very careful, careful and cautious. We've seen what it's doing in Colorado. My advice is be careful and cautious as you proceed. I know we have to let you go, Governor. One final question. We're heading into an election year, and I believe understand that you've announced your, uh, there are new rules in place, of course, that you're going to take a dual track uh, caucus and convention and signatures. Yeah, I'm a big supporter of the caucus convention system. I've said before, and I'll say again, I'm probably uh, the result of that effort. I don't know that I could be governor or would have been governor without that system. I was able to compete as just kind of a typical average guy financially. Didn't have the name identification of some of the other, and I certainly didn't have the money. And yet, I was able to go out there and talk to the delegates and become a player, and that led a pathway forward that I was able to eventually become the governor of this great state. Uh, I'm concerned about what's devolved into the uh, the system of delegates, uh, that we have people spending lots of money now to try to stack the delegates. That's not how the system was supposed to work. It's supposed to be kind of representative of the neighborhoods, to come with an open mind and an unbiased attitude and pick and choose whatever candidate you thought reflected the will and desires of your neighborhood. I think that's a great way to to do it. Um, But we also, with all the confusion over the lawsuits and litigation and uh, the Senate Bill 54, which was designed to help preserve the caucus convention system, now we have fighting between Republican against Republican. It gives us uncertainty, and according to the Attorney General's office uh, and the Elections Office, the only way to be sure that you're going to be on the ballot uh, for the primary is to take both paths, a signature gathering as well as, in fact, go to the caucus convention system. So I'm going to make sure I'm going to be on the ballot. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's only prudent and wise. Uh, I I am looking forward to meeting with the delegates and defending our record and talking about not only what we've done and accomplished, which I think is pretty dramatically good, but also our vision for the future and what we want to do and some of the challenges we face. We have momentum. We have uh, wind in our sails. uh, We have opportunity that we've never had in the history of our state, and I'd like to continue to to make sure that we continue to excel, And, and I think that's the message we'll have for the delegates, and I expect that that will hopefully resonate with them and we'll get another opportunity to, to be the Republican nominee. Well, I know we have to let you go. We'll, we're going to take a break now and be back with uh, House leaders, later in the program, Senate leaders, Governor Gary Herbert. Thank you so much. Appreciate Thank you, you Tom. Time. Great to be with you and your listeners. I'm Jeremy Hobson. Former Republican Senator Trent Lott has been watching presidential election cycles since the 1960s, but he says he's never seen anything like this one. I don't feel good about the anger and frustration. I'd like to hear more uh, about how, you know, we're going to get things done together. What's your plan? That's next time on Here and Now. 
Join us Monday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Taylor Swift, The Weeknd, they've all scored huge hits thanks to a small group of Swedish producers. Coming up, find out how Scandinavians secretly came to dominate global pop. It's coming up on Q from PRI. You know I'm talking about Public Radio International. Join us Monday afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We're live at the state capitol. It's opening day of the 2016 legislative session. Much to talk about. Later in the program, we're going to be talking with Senate leaders. And right now, we bring in leaders in the Utah House. We welcome in Representative Jim Dunnigan, who's House Majority Leader, Republican from Taylorsville. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. And we also welcome in the Minority Leader, Representative Brian King, Democrat from Salt Lake City. Thanks. Thanks for having us, Tom. Uh, let me start with um, with Representative uh, Dunnigan. Just open-ended question: What's what's your top priority going in? One of the biggest things we need to do is a budget. We, we have seven weeks to put together a fourteen billion dollar budget. There are many demands, many needs. We don't have as much money as we did last year. We had some really nice surpluses last year. We have some surpluses this year. They're primarily in the education fund. So one of the biggest challenges we'll have is balancing all the requests and the asks and the, and the needs to uh, have a, the state government funded fairly and properly for the next year. And Representative King, same question, top priority. Well, certainly the budget is an important thing and that reflects our priorities. I think one of the things that we're focusing on as a caucus is to address some needs of Utah's working families. We'll have caucus members that will be running bills relating to the living wage, uh, increasing the minimum wage to a point where it uh, allows individuals who are working full-time to escape poverty levels. We believe that anybody working full-time should be able to uh, provide for themselves uh, relatively comfortably instead of living in poverty. We'll also be uh, sponsoring bills relating to equal pay for equal work, uh, trying to reduce the gender uh, wage gap that exists in our state, which is one of the highest in the country. And uh, we'll also be running a bill relating to paid family leave. So we think these are issues that working Utahns are concerned about and um, that address their needs most directly. Let me turn to Representative Dinnigan on, on those uh, issues. Uh, it's always a matter of priorities and a limited amount of money. Do you think Republicans will smile favorably on some of these provisions that Representative King has put forward? I think we're fortunate in Utah. Our, our unemployment rate's about three and a half percent, and that's that's better than much of the country. And as I talk to legislators from other states, many of them are, their states are still struggling financially. Uh, Utah, we have a, a rainy day fund, you know, emergency fund. We balance our budget every year, low unemployment. So I think there are a lot of job opportunities out there. And, and I look forward to working with my friends across the aisle to see the, what we can establish as good policy for the state. Representative King, the, uh, I believe this is uh, coming from the county, Salt Lake County. Also, that I think Mayor Biscoopsy supports this. This is a plan to increase the services for the homeless population. Right, right. right. And it's, it's, it's a fairly high price tag. I think it's $23 million or so. Uh, be able to find that kind of money. First of all, you'd support this? Sure, absolutely. The, there was a task force that put together a lot of work on the uh, issue of how we deal with the homeless population in Salt Lake City and across the state. And they came up with some great recommendations. And, and those, some of those recommendations are going to cost some money. I think it's important that the state help 
uh, Salt Lake City. This is not a Salt Lake City-only problem. This is a problem that exists for the entire state. Many people who become homeless in other parts of Utah gravitate towards Salt Lake City right now because that's where the great majority of the homeless services are situated. But um, because it's a statewide problem, we need to deal with it uh, using statewide money. And my hope is that we're able to at least uh, incrementally, if not completely, begin the funding process for some of those recommendations. What do you think, Representative Dunnigan, at least incrementally, money uh, be allocated for this? I, I think the homeless ties into a three-legged stool, and th those, those three legs are homelessness, uh, health care, particularly for addiction treatment, and justice reinvestment initiative. So people, many of them homeless, cycle in and out of the justice system, the courts, law enforcement. And so I, I think we've got to look at that holistically and try to get them some health care to get treatment, then help them get clean housing that will lower our costs in the, in the justice and the court. So I, I do think that we'll make steps this uh, session towards treating some of that. But I think you've got to look at those pieces together. Uh, what do the revenue project projections look like? And that's, does it seem hopeful? That the, the general, you know, we, we've got couple hundred or more million dollars of surplus in the education fund, but via the, by the Constitution that has to be used for education. The general fund, which runs everything but education, is basically flat. We have a little surplus, but after we do a couple of have-to shortfalls from last year, we're basically flat. So we've told our Appropriations Committee chairs that they have the same amount of money that they had last year to work with, and if they want to do something new or different, they're going to have to reprioritize within their pot of money. Hmm. Let me start on this with uh, you, Representative Dunnigan. Um, Medicaid expansion this has been uh, discussed over a couple of years now, I think. Um, and I'm reading several uh, bills are going to be uh, put forward. Um, do, do you think something will happen this session on Medicaid expansion? It's a, it's a difficult issue. It's a challenging issue. There's a lot of uncertainty with our federal partners. You know, the Congress just sent a bill to President Obama recently to repeal much of the Affordable Care Act, which he vetoed. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And some, some of my colleagues don't want to do anything. They don't want to address Medicaid. And there are many, as you say, there are many ideas percolating out there, uh, different ways to uh, address the need. I am hopeful that we'll be able to do something, that we'll be able to get started. One of the biggest challenges we have is we really don't know what the costs are. We have analysts, consultants, guesstimating. So I, I support a, a way forward where we actually get started, get some people covered, and find out what the costs are, what the take-up rate is, and then we can have Utah numbers instead of just guesses. Hmm. Representative King, what, uh, what are you hearing? and, and what are your hopes on this? Well, our hopes certainly are for uh, a meaningful Medicaid expansion. We'd like to see full Medicaid expansion under the ACA. Senator Davis is running a bill to accomplish that, but politically that's a real uphill battle. More feasible is Healthy Utah, the governor's uh, alternative to full Medicaid expansion, which we also support as a second alternative to full Medicaid expansion. I'd like to see Healthy Utah uh, pass. Of course, it passed the Senate in the last session and was uh, stopped in the House. But, you know, it just makes no sense to us to, to leave the hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer money that Utahns have already paid on the table in Washington, D.C., while we have uh, tens of thousands of Utahns really suffering without access to medical care. We, we have heard um, uh, ideas being floated that maybe we do just take a very relatively small fraction of those who would otherwise be uh, able to qualify for Medicaid expansion and handle them, the sickest or the, those who were most in need. 
Um, but the problem with there, there are problems with that too, and and part of the problem is we're trying to reinvent the wheel here. Congress and and the president dealt with this back in 2009, 2010 when the ACA was passed, and they considered the very same questions we're struggling to grapple with now. And it, it, it's wasteful to try and reinvent the wheel, uh, especially when, again, we're, lose, we're losing so many taxpayer dollars to Washington, D.C. If you just joined us, we are talking with legislative leaders. We're coming to you live from the state capitol on the opening day of the state legislature. And we're talking with Representative Brian King, who's House Minority Leader. You heard from him just there. And with Representative Jim Dunnigan, who is the House Majority Leader. I'm going to start with Representative King on, on this question. Um, some Democrats... Are, have some concerns about uh, um, too many closed meetings with Republicans. It's a, it's a heavily Republican state. Republicans have a large majority. And um, I wonder if you share those complaints and what you would like to see done. Yeah, we, we do share those complaints. We think it's absolutely critical that uh, these meetings be open and that everyone know what the process is uh, for considering the, the, these bills, that, that everyone know what facts or supposed facts are being considered by legislators when they debate these bills, that um, and that we have a, a good opportunity to have public input. We do have committee meetings. The public comes and testifies. Of course, we receive many emails, letters, phone calls, things like that. That's all great. But too often, and, and the House Republican Caucus is actually better about this than the Senate Republican Caucus, in all honesty, because the House Republican Caucus generally is open. And that's not true for the Senate Republican Caucus. But even for the House Republican Caucus, too often they close the doors when they're discussing very important legislation. The most recent discussion about Medicaid expansion that occurred in October was an example of that. And, and we don't think that's good public policy. Mm -hmm. Representative Dunnigan, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've heard these complaints. Um, big majority in, the, in your chamber and in the Senate as well. Um, what, what do you say to complaints that you're going behind closed doors all of, our, all of the actions that are taken in committees and in, in the house floor and I'm, I'm going to speak primarily for the house i'll let the senate speak for themselves uh, those are all done in public their public's welcome to attend they're live streamed as we looked over the hours that we spent in the house caucus last this past year over 90 percent of our time was spent in, in open meetings i i strive to have our committee our caucus meetings opened and they almost always are. We've had hours of debate on Medicaid, for example, in the open forum, both in our caucus and in committee meetings. So I, I expect we'll do the same. I, ours are largely open, at least in the House Republican caucus. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a bit about uh, public lands. It's come to the fore again with a, an initiative by Representatives Bishop and Chaffetz. I'll start with you, Representative Dunnigan, on this one. What's what do you think sentiment in, is in the Utah House? You know, I actually I like uh, Congressman Bishop's bill, and he's he's trying to I think walk the line of having access, reasonable access to public lands and and still protecting the the beautiful areas. Nobody's talking about uh, privatizing our national parks or wilderness areas. So you know, to, some people throw that in the mix, but that's misleading. So I, I, I applaud uh, Congressman Chaffetz and Bishop for what they're trying to do. I, I hope that they'll uh, continue to make progress. And uh, we, you know, almost two-thirds of our state land is owned by the federal government, significantly more. The eastern states, 4% or less is owned by the federal government. So, you know, we feel that we can manage those lands as well as the federal government. And, but it needs to be, there needs to be an appropriate balance. And, and uh, I like the, the bill that Congressman Bishop drilled out. 
So you feel like the, the Representative Bishop's bill strikes the right balance? So it, I think it, it's certainly a good starting point. Yeah. Representative King, what do you what do you think? First of all, on the on the initiative from Representative Bishop. Sure. Well, Representative Bishop's um, initiative, as as many know, as as you know, took months, years to formulate. They've worked very hard to come up with something, but it is um, a compromise, and there's going to be disagreement about the extent to which it draws the line correctly. I have some concerns. There's in that bill, you find that there is uh, built into it. Uh, an ability for uh, the states to compromise the quality of air over public lands, over national parks. It's problematic from my perspective. I think there are some real concerns about the extent to which there is too much leeway given to extractive industries to uh, uh, take, thing, take, take minerals, oil, natural gas, and other uh, minerals and, and value things of value from our lands in a way that degrades the land and that locks them up to private uh, ownership and uh, against uh, away from public access. That gives me great concern. I think we've got to continue to talk about this. Uh, we may very well uh, end up with some action being taken at the level of the federal government to uh, make more national monuments or, or do something that preserves land simply because there's a feeling that the state of Utah is not doing enough to put in place guarantees that those lands will be preserved into the future for our children and grandchildren. What about specifically this idea? Um, Indian tribes are pushing for, they're encouraging President Obama to declare a national monument in that area. Is that, is that you know, it, go too far? Is yeah, that well, I, I, wanna, I think we need to continue to take a look at that. I think that there are a lot of people who think it's a good idea and some, of course, that are opposed. But here's the thing that's interesting to me about that, Tom. The folks who live down there who are Native Americans, by and large, support that. And yet others who are not of that heritage seem to be against it. So. I think that what we've got to do is recognize that this isn't locals versus the federal government. This isn't an overly intrusive federal government necessarily. If, they, if that happens, if we have barriers established as a national monument, it will be in the face of overwhelming support by Utah's Native American population. So it's, it's not us versus them in terms of state uh, uh, citizens or people living in the state of Utah versus the federal government. Uh, just quickly, Representative Dunnigan, uh, that specific question, uh, uh, a potential national monument in that area, is that, is that too far, uh, too much? So I, 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 that would be too far. The, the best decisions are made locally with, with input from the locals. There are some native tribes that support the concept of the Bears Ears. There's others that do not. As I talked to our congressmen, they said too many of their colleagues back in Washington, when they, we talk about national parks in Utah, in Utah, they visualize Central Park. You know, that's they've never been here. They don't get it. And we certainly don't want them. Uh, messing with our land here, I, I'm, tr I'm perfectly fine if they want to go to Central Park. Just let us have some say on what we're going to do in Utah. Mm -hmm. I know, Representative Dunnigan, you uh, you have to leave here uh, and get going. I don't know if Representative King can stay a little bit. Um, we're waiting for our senators to uh, to come in. Are, oh, they're here. Okay. Well, let's uh, go to break then. And uh, may I make one comment? Yes. I want to go back to the Medicaid issue. And our analysts somewhat recently have done an updated num uh, version of the numbers and. The Affordable Care Act is taking about $710 million of new taxes and fees out of our state, at least this last year. But we're getting back about $730 million. 
So the, the rhetoric that we're leaving all these taxpayer dollars back in Washington is absolutely incorrect. We have better numbers than that now. We're getting slightly more back than we're paying in. If we fully expanded Medicaid, we would get more. But we also lose a couple of hundred million in, money, in the subsidies that we're getting currently. So we're, we're not leaving all this millions of hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. And fortunately, we have some analysts that have some better numbers than the projections from a, a year ago. Hmm. Representative King, anything else you want to say on the Medicaid? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, it's, it's other than this, it's not a dollars and cents issue primarily. Primarily, it's about improving the quality of people's lives. It's an economic development issue, not just because it brings tax money back to the state of Utah. It's an economic development issue because we can get people who currently aren't able to work back to work as taxpayers. That improves the quality of their lives. It improves the coffers for the state of Utah. From my perspective, it's a no-brainer. We thank very much Representative Jim Dunnigan, who is House Majority Leader, and Representative Brian King, who is the House Minority Leader. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank Appreciate you. It so much. Uh, we'll take a break, and when we come back more, we'll have uh, leaders from the Senate. You might rightly think of General Electric as the light bulb company, but GE executives say they've got some new ideas shining over their heads. We've totally changed our uh, direction at GE to be both digital and industrial. I think, you know, there are a few industries that are that are not going to fa- have to face into this. I'm Kai Rizdal, Innovation at Scale, next time on Marketplace from APN. Join us tonight at 630 on Utah Public Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. We'll explore the music of Bollywood. Each film has about six to seven songs. And you get the best Bollywood music, of course, on the Roger and Pablo show on the BBC Asian <laughs> Network. <laughs> That's plug, the plug, plug. second plug in just a minute and a half. That's next time on Here and Now. Join us Monday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and uh, is our as is our custom, we are live today from the state capitol on opening day of the 2016 legislative session. And we uh, have talked with Governor Herbert. We've talked with House leaders. Now we bring in leaders from the Senate. We welcome in Senator Ralph Okerlund, a Republican from Monroe. Uh, he is the Senate Majority Leader. Thanks for coming in. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. And we welcome uh, in as well Senate Major- Minority Leader, uh, Senator Gene Davis, Democrat from Salt Lake City. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Uh, let me just start uh, with, uh, let me start with uh, Senator Davis on this. What's your top priority going in? My top priority, uh, bill-wise, is the uh, full Medicaid expansion. It's one of the things that I'd like to see done. I think it's time for all Utahns have access to health care. Is there a specific proposal this time around that you're supporting? It would be just an adoption of what's out there uh, to give us that full coverage and benefits under the Affordable Care Act. Okay. Senator Okerlund, your top priority going in. Um, economic development. Uh, I, I always uh, seems like it's going to be a top priority. If, if the economy's strong, uh, we'll have enough money to deal with uh, all the other difficult issues we have. You know, last year was a, a really good session for transportation. We were able to raise uh, uh, some fees, uh, some taxes to be able to raise uh, some money to take care of our roads and transportation needs. That's always a big priority. Uh, that's taken care of for a while, we hope now. And so uh, it, it's just important to keep the economy strong and, and moving. 
I want to follow up with the Medicaid expansion. This is something that's uh, been talked about for a couple of years. What, let me phrase it this way. What would the parameters look like for Senate Republicans to, to, you know, to, to pass something? You know, Senate Republicans passed something for the last couple of years. We've had, uh, we've had bills that we could support uh, for Medicaid expansion. Uh, not full expansion, but uh, the governor's uh, original proposal and then others. Uh, we haven't been able to have uh, the House come along on those. So I think what it's going to take is, is the House is going to have to uh, come up with a proposal that they can support and send over to us. It's very difficult for us to continue sending something that, uh, that can't pass over in the House. So I think uh, mm. we need to say to the House, uh, send us something that you like, and then mm. we'll take a look at it. Start, start in the House yeah. this time around. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to, uh, to carry on a discussion we've been having. Uh, we, we had this with the House leaders. That is complaints among some Democrats that uh, the, the Republicans with a big majority are holding, as they see it, too many meetings behind closed doors. Um, and in fact, uh, Representative King just said moments ago that uh, the House Republicans are not as bad in this as the Senate Republicans. So I'll, I'll direct it to the Senate Republican leader here, <laughs> Rep or Senator Okerlund. What do you say to this? Um, I think we have a very open process. Every bill that is, uh, that is brought before the legislature is heard in two committees, uh, in the House and the Senate. Uh, that besides the floor hearings, the public has an opportunity to be involved in that process. It's a very open process. So uh, we do have one meeting that's a caucus meeting where uh, we're able to discuss frankly uh, some items that uh, we can have good, frank, open discussions and not worry about people grandstanding and and just uh, make some good policy discussions. And, and it, it's been very, I think it's been uh, very helpful mm. to have good policy come out of the Senate. Uh, if you don't have that kind of a setting, say you open it up, there are still gonna be those who are gonna be having discussions everywhere uh, privately. Uh, it, it's not gonna uh, uh, stop that from happening. So I think what we do is, is very valuable. I think it's a very valuable opportunity to have a good frank discussion and there's, ample opportunity for the public to be involved in the process. We make sure of that. We're very transparent. We have lots of access uh, to our meetings, both for the public to be here and to hear on, uh, online. So uh, we just think it's a very open process and having a, a frank discussion is very helpful. Senator Davis, what do you think about this? You know, uh, the Senate Democrats, we always have an open caucus. I mean, that's our rule. Mm -hmm. uh, however, we know that uh, under the Open Meetings Act that there are times to close a meeting and to have those discussions. Uh, but overall, we're open all the time. We do have a great relationship with the uh, majority party uh, in the state of Utah. They share an awful lot of information with us. And when they come up to speak with us and tell us what's going on, whether it be in the budget or certain bills, is the fact that we keep ours open and uh, we're able to have that discussion in the open. Hmm. And it, it's been received well. But there are times, and, and I'm not here to throw rocks on it, because there are times that you need to have uh, time to yourselves to be able to put things together. I recognize and understand that. Hmm. We'll talk about uh, um, guns, a hot topic for us uh, nationwide. We've been having pro uh, some episodes on on Access Utah. Uh, I know Senator Hinkins is uh, going to carry a constitutional carry uh, bill. Let me start with with um, Senator Okerlund on on this. Um, 
governor vetoed a similar measure in 2013. He, he hasn't announced what he'll do this time around. What do you think on, on the constitutional carry or, or other gun measures that may make him up? It's an election year, so it's going to be a little bit more difficult uh, to deal with this year. I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. Uh, as you said, uh, passed in 2013, I suspect that, uh, that there will probably be support in both houses uh, for that measure. But I have to tell you, I think we're in a pretty good place in Utah on, uh, on guns uh, with, our, uh, with our laws that we have in place now that allow for a concealed carry permit and, and uh, a good background check on those folks that are able to do that. We're in a pr pretty good place. So if we end up where we are, uh, we're still, uh, I think, in a, in a good position on guns. Uh, I, frankly, I, I wouldn't uh, uh, be opposed to having an open carry law as long as we have some control there. Senator Davis, what do you think about uh, any You know, I'm, I'm concerned. Provisions? I mean, changing the Constitution just for this uh, particular issue, especially with the Supreme Court saying that, you know, there are times that regulations can be used in control of weapons. And uh, I believe that uh, we need to get over this fact that somehow the government's going to take your guns away because there's never been the proposal to take your guns away from you. Hmm. Uh, it's to keep the weapons out of hands of people who really uh, shouldn't be there and shouldn't be carrying and as defined by law. When you skirt that and you do the constitutional amendment and it's a very highly emotional issue in the state of Utah, uh, because of the fact that uh, the NRA continues to say they're going to take your guns away from you, and they do that to raise money, and there's no reality in it. I think uh, a constitutional amendment could could suffer a defeat, but also being an election year, as uh, uh, Senator Okerlund indicated, is the fact that those who believe their guns are going to be taken away would probably show up at the polls. Well, I know we have to let you gentlemen go. We have a meeting uh, to get to, the opening of the legislature. We've been talking with Senator Ralph Okerlund, who is Senate Majority Leader, and Represent or Senator Gene Davis, who's the Democratic Leader in the Senate. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Thanks, Tom. We'll take a break. We'll come back and talk with uh, representatives from some advocacy groups. Uh, stay tuned. On the next Radio Lab. We have here nine, nine babies. We need help. The increasingly complicated business of making a family. Two guys and, and three women. Four countries. Yeah, planes. Three jet planes. Two, wait, jet planes. Hundreds two of, of thousands of dollars. And the women behind it all. The women are there in charge of deciding how they want their life to be, and we don't have to look at them with pity. Join us Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We're live at the state capitol. It's the opening day of the 2016 legislative session. Uh, we have some uh, interviews now with some advocacy groups. Uh, I want to just go to, we're planning on three. I'll just go to two of these because uh, I want to fit in some, uh, some emails that we've uh, gotten. Um, I really pumped this in my promotional announcement, and then I neglected this through the program. So I apologize to our listeners. Let me get this in. And uh, from uh, Glenn, he says, I just cannot trust the state's inability to control the urge to sell lands off to their cronies. The, quote, no trespassing, end quote, signs will go up. We as a general public will lose our access to lands that we have grown accustomed to using. All of these promises about new wilderness, state forests, etc., to be hollow, the bait and switch. That's from Glenn. Thanks for that email, Glenn. 
Uh, we have this question. Apologize, Helen, for not getting this on while the governor was on. A uh, uh, question from Helen. Uh, meant for the governor, why has there not been a statewide initiative giving industries a tax break incentive, such as oil industries, to get zero emission? So we will, Helen, get that to at least legislators uh, later in the session, one of our programs. And this is from Casper, who says, Are the governor legislature legislators proud of giving Utahns the worst and most polluted air in the entire nation? A good economy doesn't help much, uh, much help Utahns suffering from asthma and or die at an early death because uh, government negligence bordering on criminal. Republicans overseeing this debacle should not be surprised if they wake up unemployed one day because of their negligence, that is air pollution. Uh, persons moving here from other states do not well adapt to the situation. He says, prohibit all idling and drive through businesses, hire special environmental officers to randomly patrol and write painful tickets for violators. That's Casper. Keep those emails coming. We will treat these issues as we go along during the legislative session. And you can email us to upraccess at gmail.com. Now we're going to go to a couple of interviews with some some groups who have a stake in what the legislature is going to be doing. And we'll go uh, next to a conversation with Billy Hesterman with the Utah Taxpayers Association. That'll be followed by a conversation with Bill Tibbetts um, with the Crossroads Urban Center. We are now talking with uh, Billy Hesterman, who's vice president of the Utah Taxpayers Association. Uh, thanks for uh, joining us. Appreciate being here. Thanks for having me. So uh, we were talking with various groups looking for uh, priorities ahead of the uh, 2016 legislative uh, session. What about the Utah Taxpayers Association? What are the issues uh, top of mind for you? So we have a, a number of tax issues that we're going to be looking at through the session. I think the the thing that I I am sad to say, but I understand the where we're at as a as a state and fiscally and where we're going with our economy. We won't see any you know across the board tax cuts this year, but I think we'll see some uh, substantial. Uh, tax reform that can help uh, stimulate our economy, continue the uh, strong path we're on for businesses to help them succeed and create jobs and make sure that we all have a, a place to work and are earning a, a sound income. So those are on the broad broad scale what we'll be looking at this session. What I think uh, what your listeners will be interested in and will hear most about during the session related to taxes is the internet sales tax issue. There's a couple of different bills that we'll see this session that will deal with how do we collect an online sales tax from those retailers that don't have a presence in the state of Utah, because right now some are collecting it and some aren't. And that's lost revenue for the state. Um, But uh, we'd like to see some type of fix to create an equal playing field among retailers, but also make a revenue neutral move so that it's not a a windfall to the, the government and giving them more money. Is this something where the states are going to have to move in concert? In other words, even if Utah is out of step with other states, it's going to be a disadvantage? That is certainly one issue that has to be be looked at. This would certainly be better if it's handled at a congressional level. Uh, if if uh, Congress has had a couple of proposals placed before them, but they never seem to get off the ground, it's been about 17 years that this issue has been uh, looked at and discussed and debated, and it never moves. And so now the states are saying, we're looking at our budgets, and we're seeing how the market is changing, that more people shop online than ever before, and we're losing out on the sales tax revenue that they, they once were uh, using to run basic government functions. And so they're trying to say, look, Congress, if you're not going to uh, help us out, we got to start looking at our own our own methods and using our own means to do it. And unfortunately, that's that could create kind of a patchwork uh, mess across the nation for people that are in the retail business to figure out how to comply to 50 different uh, codes or 50 different ideas on how to do this. 
And finally, in a, uh, I guess, a perfect world, uh, or at least a very good outcome, you know, by middle of March, uh, what's a really good outcome for the Taxpayer Association? A, a tax cut? What, uh, what would be uh, good news? Currently, we have some inequities in our tax code right now. Uh, for example, in the, the sales tax code, if a manufacturer has parts that last less than three years, they still have to pay a sales tax on it. Whereas if they buy machinery or parts that last more than three years, they don't. Now, where this becomes unfair is if you have two, two of the same kind of business, one runs on two shifts and one runs on one shift, the one with the one shift may have their machinery and parts last for longer than three years, where the one that's running two shifts may wear theirs out in a year and a half. And so we have these two same equal businesses that are uh, doing the same thing, but one's paying sales tax on their parts and one isn't. And we'd like to fix that, uh, that inequity among those, those two businesses and make sure that the tax code isn't picking winners and losers. If we can see some, some movement on that, I think we'll have a, a victory in the session and, and also in some other areas where we see some, some flaws that we can clean up and make sure that this is a, a fair environment for all businesses to compete. We've been talking with uh, Billy Hesterman, who's vice president of the Utah Taxpayers Association. We're talking to various groups looking at uh, what they would like to see happen during the uh, 2016 legislative uh, session. And uh, Billy Hesterman, uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. And we turn next to the Crossroads Urban Center, and we are talking with Bill Tibbetts. Uh, he's the new director of the Crossroads Urban Center multi-faith advocacy project called the Coalition of Religious Communities. Uh, so I see I see here a couple of main priorities, homelessness and reducing the number of Utah families that pay over half their monthly income on on rent. Uh, tell me what you'd like to see come out of the legislature on this. So Crossroads Urban Center is one of the uh, partners that's working with the county to get funding for a new family shelter in the downtown area. We um, think that there's an, that there are needs to address uh I mean, the, the facilities we have are not meeting the need in terms of shelter, but we also think that the bigger deal is is uh, starting to make progress in addressing all the families in Utah that are paying uh, over half their income in rent right now. There are about 54,000 households in the state of Utah that pay over half their monthly income on rent. Um, it's taken us a while for the situation to get as bad as it hasn't, so it's going to take a while to uh, to reduce that. But uh, there are a few bills that would hopefully help start moving things in the right direction. It's uh, unfortunately, they're still being drafted, and so it's hard to say uh, exactly the impact that they'll have. But there, there are bills, there are a couple bills that are part of the county initiative, one that would help in this area. One would give uh, the, the state housing trust fund a little more flexibility in terms of funding uh, low-income housing projects. And then the other one, the county is working to on, on a bill that would uh, generate more funds at the local level for for addressing of households that are paying more than they can afford on rent. And uh, briefly, uh, I want to talk about another of the main goals there, uh, mm -hmm. expanding Medicaid to cover as many uninsured people under the poverty level as uh, possible. This, this seems stalled. What are, what are your hopes? Well, last year we were really hopeful because the governor had a plan for expanding Medicaid, and the Senate passed that plan, and then things uh, stalled out in the House. Um, what we realized after the session was that uh, the House actually did pass a bill that would have provided Medicaid to 20,000 of the 60,000 people in, in the Medicaid coverage gap. And so what we, as an organization, have decided is that this year 
you know, we're going to push to make sure that something happens because they couldn't get to a consensus on covering everybody, but uh, both bodies did agree to cover a, a significant share of the uninsured. And so, uh, you know, we have been meeting with House leadership and asking them to take another shot at at least doing a partial Medicaid expansion. And, and actually, that sort of looks like the only thing that's really on the table. The governor didn't put money for full Medicaid expansion in his budget this year. There's nobody sponsoring a bill in the Senate like the one that Senator Shiazawa got passed last year. And so I think with the governor and the Senate backing away from full expansion this year, um, an organization like ours that where, I mean, we run one of the busiest food pantries in the state of Utah, about 31% of the households we serve are homeless, a, an expansion that covers, you know, the poorest of the poor, because everybody in the Medicaid coverage gap, um, everybody who would be impacted by this, by Healthy Utah, you know, the, the uninsured people who would have been benefited from Healthy Utah, you know, they're all under the poverty level. And so, you know, if we can, we would obviously rather cover everybody in that in that gap, but it's it's really not acceptable to cover nobody. Um, and so we're we're gonna we are going to support uh, Representative Dunnigan's partial expansion bill because we see it as as uh, something that will benefit people, particularly homeless people. And it's it's uh, I mean again we there there just doesn't seem it to be an appetite from the the governor or the Senate to to push for doing more than that. Well, we uh, really appreciate it. Bill Tibbetts uh, with Crossroads Urban Center. He's the, the new director of their multi-faith advocacy project, the Coalition of Religious Communities. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for calling me. You bet. Thank you. And we do thank all of the people we've talked to today. We've uh, talked to Governor Herbert. Thank you so much to him. He always takes time out of his schedule to, to join us on these occasions. We've talked with uh, Senate leaders, Rep- uh, Senators Ralph Okerlund and Gene Davis, and House leaders, Representatives Jim Dunnigan and Brian King. And our thanks to Billy Hesterman from Utah Taxpayers and Bill Tibbetts from Crossroads Urban Center. We announced earlier in the program we'd be talking with Steve Cruz with the Utah Foundation. We ran out of time to give you that interview. We'll, we'll be uh, giving you that interview, uh, hopefully during All Things Considered Morning Edition, um, later on the next few days. Our thanks to all of those uh, people who, who joined us. Uh, and our thanks to those who responded. I apologize for not looking at the email earlier on, but we will be treating these issues as we go through the legislative session. Uh, do tune in for, uh, stay tuned for those programs. We'll be treating many of these issues as we go along. Our thanks to all involved in the broadcast today, including our broadcast engineer, Friend Weller, uh, here with me at the state capitol. And uh, thanks for listening to Access Utah. Composer Antonin Dvorak said it took very little effort to write this music. It came easily, he said. The melodies just surged upon me. We'll hear violinist Daniel Hope and friends play those surging melodies in concert at the Savannah Music Festival on the next Performance Today from APM. Join us Monday night at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Next time on Philosophy Talk, Nations and Borders. Nations have the inherent right to self-determination, including the right to control their borders. Oh, nations are just illegitimate entities created through war, genocide, and theft. What gives them a right to control borders? Because without borders, labor markets would be flooded and economies would crash. Nations and Borders, next time on Philosophy Talk. Wake up with Philosophy Talk, Tuesday at 4 a.m. on Utah Public Radio. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. 
You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. 